the minor prophet Hosea, chapter 7. If you find Ezekiel and Daniel, then you find Hosea right after Daniel, if you're looking. If you're already there, we're going to be in chapter 7 this evening, verses 1 through 10. As you're getting ready for the study this evening, I do want to mention that we need to keep focused on the fact that it is the northern kingdom of Israel that God is speaking to, that God is dealing with, because they have completely left the Lord. They should know the Lord. They should have continued to follow the Lord. But they decided to follow those who wanted to worship other gods. The way that they would begin to do this is that they were going to go north. They didn't want to worship in Jerusalem any longer. And they wanted to adapt that, or, or adopt, I should say, the, uh, the very problems that sent many of the people that were in the wilderness into major problems with the Lord. When they had Aaron, the, the brother of Moses, make for them a golden calf. So calves were then again used in worship in the northern kingdom, both in the southern area of the northern kingdom and up north in the area of Dan, where an altar has been found. We've been there uh, a, a few times uh, after certain excavations were done in, done in the area of Dan, and they did find the area where the sacrifices had taken place. So it's a very interesting area. But it was all saying, well, this is, we're worshiping God, but they were worshiping idols. And it, it led to the type of idol worship that uh, completely led them astray. Uh, spiritually, they began to uh, partake of the, uh, the sexual sins of, of all of the nations around them, uh, because that's what, that was primarily the way that they did their worship. Uh, so it led from that to spiritual adultery and even physical adultery. And we've covered all of that in the first six chapters. But the indictment continues to the northern kingdom concerning the judgments that will come upon them. So we read in verses 1 through 3, here in Hosea chapter 7, God is speaking to them through the prophet Hosea, who, by the way, if you remember, Hosea was commanded by God to marry a temple prostitute, which he did, marrying a, a woman named Gomer. And uh, the whole idea was to show how Israel had sinned against God and committed spiritual adultery against it. So in verse 1, he goes on, as, as, as it continues on from the thought that was given at the end of chapter 6. He said, When I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered and the wickedness of Samaria. Ephraim is oftentimes the name given to the northern kingdom of Israel uh, as the tribe of Ephraim or Ephraim uh, was the largest tribe that was in the northern kingdom. And of course, the wickedness of Samaria being the Samaria was the area north of, of, of Judah. We know later on that the Jews that were in the uh, in the area surrounding Jerusalem in, in the uh, tribe of Judah uh, would go actually would not want to go through Samaria they would go actually around and this was of course during the time of Jesus he goes on and says for they commit falsehood they were liars they began to lie in, in a major way not just little lies but just living by falsehood and the thief cometh in, and the troop of robbers spoileth without. And they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own doings have beset them about. They are before my face. They make the king glad with their wickedness and the princes with their lies. So, generally speaking, the people of the northern kingdom of Israel were like a sick person who rejects every attempt to heal them. God wants to heal them because God loves them. 
but with every attempt that he makes to heal them, they reject it. The Lord loved his people and longed to heal them spiritually so that they might enjoy the fruits of his promises. This has always been that principle that God has given us that if we would obey the Lord, he would bless us. He would bless his people. He would bless all of us who believe in him and trust in him and surrender to him and submit to him. And we would enjoy the fruits of his promises. But they rejected the Lord's love and every effort that he made to help them. Now that's, that's kind of sad. Now some of us would say that's, that's really dumb. Worse than dumb, but I don't want to go into all kinds of names. But it is. God wants to help them. God wants to heal them. God wants to support them. They didn't want it. Instead of accepting God's love and, and walking in his care and his provision, they made the choice to continue in sin. We sang about that in the first song that we sang tonight. He gives and takes away, he gives and takes away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. But others choose to go the other direction, away from God. And they chose to continue in sin. Day by day, they rejected the Lord, living and doing exactly what they wanted. Now, I've always wanted you to remember that every time we talk about things that Israel did in, in, in that kind of condition, is potentially possible with us as well. It is definitely things that happen in our day and time. Now, people can talk a good talk, but they don't have a good walk to prove it. So day by day, they continued to deceive. They rejected the Lord, living, doing what they wanted. Uh, they continued to deceive, they continued to lie, to oppress, to steal whatsoever they wanted. And sadly, the whole nation was filled with thieves, liars, and murderers. And they weren't going to other little, little nations, you know, they weren't going to other countries and stealing from them, they were stealing from each other. That's even worse. Makes me think of the debacle that we call Chicago today. When you think about how they just kill each other, I mean, I mean, every day there's just murders or shootings going on. And who's controlling that? A spirit of lawlessness and, and violence had gripped the nation to the extent that thieves were breaking into houses and bandits were openly robbing the people in the streets. That's what the Lord is describing here in the first few verses. Practically everyone was ignoring the Lord's demand for righteousness, morality, and justice. I want you to notice the words in verse 2. Look at verse 2 in your Bibles. And they consider not in their hearts. Now, folks, that's where we need to consider the things of God today. Not just in our thoughts, as passing thoughts, or something that comes in one ear and out the other. Because if that's the case, we'll pass out corks to put into our ears, at least in one ear, so it doesn't go out the other ear. I would hope it never comes to that. They consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now that should wake up all of us here today. What they were doing was living a life of hypocrisy, a life outside of God that can only produce works of the flesh. They were being selfish. They were being ugly. But they were producing only evil works. Only evil continually. Which is what we learned was a problem before the flood. You can read that in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. But what is truly amazing is that the people forget that God is fully aware of their sins, and thus they feel that, uh, that they can do whatever they want. 
Now that's a big mistake. Listen to the psalmist regarding those who trample the words of God. Turn to Psalm 50. Psalm 50. And listen to the words and remember, tie this into what we've just read in Hosea chapter 7. Psalm 50 verses 16 through 23. But unto the wicked God saith. Now, Now before we go on, I have to establish this one thing. That is, we have a God who is holy. But he's not just holy. He's holy, holy, holy. Isaiah chapter 6. Our God is holy, holy, holy. He's a lot of other things too. He has tremendous attributes that we should all learn about and, and, and know about and grow in. But primarily he is holy, holy, holy. He's righteous, just, and true. God is a God of love, yes. But he's also a God of righteousness, a God of holiness. So understand that when he says, but unto the wicked God saith, what hast thou to do to declare my statutes? Literally what it is saying is, what right do you have to declare my statutes or that thou shouldst take my covenant in thy mouth? Seeing thou hatest instruction. In other words, they hated chastisement, they hated discipline, they hated the warnings of God. This is exactly what God is telling them. That's what that word instruction means in the Hebrew. They hated God's chastisement. They hated God's discipline. What does the book of Hebrews tell us? Translating the, the things that are said about God's discipline to us from the Old Testament to the New. The book of Hebrews tells us that God disciplines us because he loves us. He corrects us because he loves us. But when you begin to hate the things that, you know, that God does, then your heart is really in a totally wrong place. Seeing thou hatest instruction and castest my word behind thee. You don't like something, throw it behind you. Wow. When thou sawest a thief, then thou consent consentedest with him and has been partaker with adulterers. That's kind of key here because it goes along with all that we've been studying in the book of Hosea about the children of Israel in the northern kingdom. Verse 19, thou givest thy mouth to evil and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest, now look at, listen to what he says. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether, uh, altogether such a one as thyself. You thought I was just like you. But I will reprove thee. In other words, I'm going to rebuke you and set them in order before thine eyes which means he is going to lay out the case before them. A lot of times we, we say to God, God, you know, Lord, why is it that, why are you waiting so long to take care of all of these idiots? You know, all these sinners around, you know, this is where we have to be very careful because we're sinners. We're not called to judge, but at the same time, we have to judge fruit, which means we also have to judge our fruit first. But we're not called to condemn because that aspect of judgment belongs to God himself. So understand what I'm saying here. We oftentimes say to the Lord, why, why don't, why, what are you waiting for, Lord? This is why he says, I kept silence. But you thought that I was altogether just like you. You know where that comes from? If, 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 if you will, in the church, it comes from poor teaching. It comes from not telling people what the Bible says, who God is. 
It comes from saying things about God that aren't fully true. Like that, like I've, I've talked about this before, like that statement some people say, oh, you know, I, I, I love the man upstairs. Well, he's not a man like us. Bible says that real clearly. We should know what the Word of God says about God. He's not like us. God is spirit. You need to understand the Word. And this is what I mean. We get into a place where we don't study the Word, where, you know, everything kind of gets, well, you know, God loves you. You got, you got churches today that don't want to even, they don't even want to talk about sin. What's man's problem today even in the church? Sin. Why? Because we're still sinners. So we have to encourage each other to walk right, to walk holy, to walk just, to walk true. We make mistakes, but that's why we need to encourage. That's why we need to be loving to one another so that we can love one another back into the fold as it, if that's necessary. Let's go on, verse 22. Notice that, he, that, that the psalmist says, now consider this. Now, what did it say in, in Hosea chapter 7? You didn't consider something. Here, God says, consider this. You that forgot God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Now, is God threatening? No, he's promising. God doesn't threaten as much as, you know, he, he says, unless you turn, this is going to happen. Judgment's going to come. Remember, God is a just God. And there be none to deliver. But look at verse 23. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. And to him that ordereth his conversation aright, he who puts his life and his, his, his conduct right, will I show the salvation of God. That doesn't mean that we save ourselves. It just means that we obey his word to get right with him. And then we realize that when we surrender ourselves to him, we die to self, then he'll live in us. Is that not what we learn from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, it not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The cross tells me I'm dead but alive in Christ, because he rose from the dead. So in, their, in living their wicked lives, let's get back to Hosea here, because I've, I don't want to go into all kinds of rabbit trails. But in living their wicked lives, these people felt no conviction whatsoever regarding their actions, thinking that the Lord condoned their sins since they thought that they were getting away with them. Now you can, you can go back to chapter 6, verse 2, where it says, you know, where they were themselves thinking, well, after two days will he revive us and then the third day he'll raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Or we can go to verse 2 of chapter 7, and they considered not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own doings have beset them about there before my face. So they thought they were getting away with something. But the fact is we can't get away with anything with God. But let there be no doubt that God's judgment is coming upon the wicked and all their sins will be set before them. That is what verse 2 says. I want you to remember the words of Jesus in John chapter 3. Now you'll know the first verse because everybody should know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, stress upon believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Now that's a, that's a, that's a thing to praise God for. We don't praise ourselves because we don't save ourselves. But what we can say is this, he that believeth on him, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The name of Yeshua, the name of Jesus. Yeshua, meaning God, is salvation. 
And by the way, the name also means what? It means the authority of God. You believe in the authority of the only begotten Son of God. You believe in his name, the power of the, what his name means, and what his name represents from the standpoint of authority. And this is the condemnation, verse 18, or I'm sorry, 19. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. One of the things that we uh, looked at uh, this, this past weekend at the men's retreat was having to do with the prophetic uh, uh, nature of, of First and Second Thessalonians. And it is there in First Thessalonians chapter 5 that, that it tells us that we're no longer children of the darkness, we're children of the light. So we need to walk in that, in that light. Well, the Word of God is light, isn't it? Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's light. We need to stay in the light and have the light be before us each and every day of our lives. We need to be deep into God's light or God's word that his light would shine forth in us and from us. Why? Because Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount said, You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. But don't cover that light with a bushel basket. Let your light so shine before men. Let your light so shine before men that they might glorify God. We glorify God by letting the light so shine. And those who see the light, as we did one day, we began to glorify God because we saw the glory of his light and the importance of it. So, Getting back to our, our study, this is what happens when people want God to act on their terms. In other words, what's happening in Israel is this. I'm not saying now what was happening then. It might be happening a little bit now, but we're talking about Hosea's time. People want God to act on their own terms. That cannot possibly be because we have too many terms. Just in this room ourselves, we've got a lot of terms. If we, if we laid them all before the Lord, I mean, we'd say, well, which one do I follow? <laughs> no, 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 no. I've got one term. You follow mine. Why? Because I'm God and you're not. That's what God would say, not me, what God would say. So it's what happens when, when people want God to act on their terms and not according to the conditions of His holy covenant we can actually contrast what is happening here with what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. Mark this down and mark it later in your Bibles, but it says this. This is the covenant. Notice God is speaking here. Paul is quoting the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with them after these, I'm sorry, after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities, notice, I will remember no more. But because they were living in their sins, loving their sins, doing their sins, hurting other people, hating other people, even their own people, what was God saying? You consider not that I remember your wickedness. See the contrast? Yet if we surrender to the Lord to let him write his laws upon our hearts, which by the way, what has he done? We're told in the book of Jeremiah that he's taken out stony hearts and put in hearts of flesh. Uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, by the way, talking about that. He, put it, he writes his law in our hearts and in our minds. And when that happens, our sins and our iniquities will not be remembered any longer. And as it says in another place, our sins will be as far as what? East is from the west. East is from the west. I've got to get this right because that's east, that's west. Okay? So getting back to verse 3 of our text. Let's go back to Hosea chapter 7, verse 3. <laughs> Excuse me. Notice it says, They make the king glad with their wickedness. 
and the princes with their lies. They make the leadership of, Northern, of the Northern Kingdom of Israel glad with their wickedness and with their lies. It is a sad day, folks. It is a sad day when the rulers of a nation delight in the sins of the people. As has happened in our own country in recent years. Laws being passed to encourage all kinds of immoral activities. Laws that are in opposition to the laws, commandments, and statutes of God from His Holy Word. Some of this may bother you. I'm not here to worry about whether you're bothered or not. I want you to hear what God says. Because man gives names. Man gives names to these actions that seem to promote a tolerant approach toward those who participate in some activities. For example, they'll use the term pro-choice. For what? For the right for women to kill their unborn babies. I've never gotten a good answer to the allowance of 60 million babies killed in this country, and maybe more, since Roe v. Wade. What about same-sex marriage? It's supposed to give some respectability to something that the Scripture says is an abomination before God. But we have politicians that think that they're better theologians than God himself. But there is no tolerance toward those who say anything against those practices. No tolerance at all if we stand on the word of God against those things. And those are just two things. In fact, they could be accused of a hate crime. That's where some of this is going. It is already in other countries. Pastors being arrested because they, st they stood up against homosexuality or because they mentioned it in a sermon, boom. I remember a reading of one pastor in, in Sweden that was arrested for that very same thing. So it's happened in other places, I'm sure. And what we're forgetting is what God says. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 has said these things. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to break it down. But it's, it's a whole section, but I'm going to break it down for you. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Now, your homework is to read the whole chapter 1. I think I've already assigned this many times. So it's a good homework to have. But in verse 24, it says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now that in general could speak of a lot of sexual sins. It could speak of a lot of other types of sins, but mostly with connotation toward the unclean lusts of hearts. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Humanism in this country has sought that kind of philosophy to be at the core of the nation. Humanism, atheistic, godless humanism. But Paul goes on. And he says in verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. And I have to tell you that I, I don't know that I would ever want to see anyone be given up to anything by God. That he would just give up, give you up to something. Because that is, that is like a stamp. I would not wish that on anyone. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. 
I don't think that we have to have, you know, a, a degree in rocket science to understand this passage. And the next passage, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet, which means it was fit. It was fitting to them to, re, to, to get this recompense. But then Paul goes on and he says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They want God in the, in, in the way of their, you know, what, what they, you know, their lifestyle, what they wanted to do. Same goes for today. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. A completely lost mind to do those things which are not fitting, convenient. But then he wraps it up in this particular statement, being filled with all unrighteousness. Listen, you got problems with this from any, any other standpoint, political or otherwise? You're going to have to take it to God. Because these are his words given to his apostles under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, sexual sin, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. That's describing the northern kingdom of Israel during the time of Hosea. Full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection. Now that goes in, that goes in a few different directions. Without natural affection, could also mean in the, in the sexual sense, not doing things naturally, as God said, that he, devout, he designed marriage for a man and a woman. That's one thing. The other thing is, without natural affection and heart for others, it would mean, for example, those people who go out and just kill people, like this guy that killed, you know, after some gaming competition, he loses, and he, then he comes back and he shoots two people and kills them shoots others, then he kills himself. Is that not led by the devil himself? When are we going to start believing that there is or there are principalities and powers and rulers of darkness that are going to use any open door in a person's life to bring this kind of destruction? Or a father who kills his wife and kills his children and says it was a wife that killed the children and I just killed her. Right? Didn't that happen in Colorado just recently? Have I not told you that we're living in a time that is insane? And it's not getting any better? What should that tell us? Jesus can come at any moment. We need to be ready. Implacable, unmerciful, no mercy, stiff-hearted, stiff-necked, who knowing the judgment of God, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That is where we are today. That is where the church was in the, in the, in the time of the Apostle Paul. That is where Israel was in the time of Hosea. But I do want to say this. Please understand that the Lord can and will forgive anyone who will come to him in true sorrowful repentance for any of these offenses. None of these are the unforgivable sin. They might eventually lead to the unforgivable sin, but they're not. And I've spoken to many women who have 
themselves come weeping guilty of, of having had abortions, I said, you know, God can forgive you. In fact, God can restore you. God can restore you, your life, and even your body by just coming to Him and surrendering to Him. And they get set free, not because of me, they get set free because of what God has promised. So understand, God is still in the forgiving business. Let's go on because I don't have a lot of time. Verse 4, Hosea 7. It doesn't stop. <laughs> There's no pause here. He says, they are all adulterers as an oven heated by the baker who ceases from raising after he has kneaded the dough. I'll explain this in, in just a minute. Until it be leavened. In the day of our king, the princes have made him sick with bottles of wine. He stretcheth out, or he stretched out his hands with scorners, for they have made ready their heart like an oven while they, while they lie in wait. Their baker sleepeth all the night. In the morning it burneth as a flaming fire. They are all hot as an oven and have devoured their judges. All their kings are fallen. There is none among them that calleth unto me. All these things are happening and not at one time during these things that I'm going to explain to you in just a minute. Not one time does anybody call unto God. Not one time in the northern kingdom of Israel. What we find in this passage is the indictment that the people were like an overheated oven burning with lusts and evil passions, inflamed hearts wickedly desiring to be satisfied so much so that they had become a nation of adulterers. That's the first part of, of, of verse uh, 4. Then he goes on. I mean, he says this is the whole nation, by the way. It's the whole nation. Is that possible today? <laughs> it's not only possible, it is much more rampant today than even then, than ever before. People today are aflame with lust for sex and false gods, committing both physical and spiritual adultery. The fire, in fact, in verse 4, the fire is so hot that it doesn't have to be fed between the time that the dough is needed and when it rises. That's what that meant. The fire was so hot, you know, usually uh, a baker will have a fire going, then he goes out and eats the bread, and then he waits for it to rise, you know, the yeast to take over, the leaven to take over, and then they have to go back and feed the fire a little bit more because the fire was dying out. No, the fire was so hot it never died out. He could go and eat the bread. He could even take a nap. And then when it's all said, he takes the bread and the fire's still hot enough to bake the bread. That's how hot it was. But it has a connotation to it. Compare that, if you will, with what Peter says when he talks about the wicked in the last days. He talks about the false prophets that are going to come. And he says this in verse 14 of 2 Peter chapter 2. He says, having eyes full of adultery. <coughs> Notice the connection. Having eyes full of adultery. But notice the next phrase. And that cannot cease from sin. That cannot cease from sin. The fire is so hot, they cannot cease from it. They are set in the heat of their adultery. Or they're set in the heat of their sexual sins. Or they're set in the heat of their abominations. They're set. They cannot cease from sin. It doesn't say they will not, it says they cannot. A heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. But the passage in Hosea goes on to teach us that the nation, its leaders, its citizens were consumed with a craving for partying and for wine. But there was an underlying reason for that as well because it would lead to something far worse. When people turn from the Lord, 
There is a moral decay that will eventually lead to anarchy. Strange how, you know, you look at TV today and there's all kinds of shows about anarchy. Just living without law or living against the law, as it were. Living as if there is no law. You think about things like the purge or, or the sons of anarchy or, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I, I, I'm not saying that I watch these things, okay? I don't, don't really like to watch them. But, you know, you see the commercials, you go, oh, my Lord, God. I mean, what, what are they showing people today? It's awful. The Queen of the South, the Mayans now coming up, you know. Let's get into the heads and minds and the hearts of people. You know, we used, to watch, we used to watch things that had, you know, that would, yeah, there were struggles and there were, uh, you know, bad guys, good guys, white hats, bad, black hats, you know, we'd, we'd all, you know, have all of those little things. But at the end, some moral thing, good, some good thing might happen, you know, and there was, there was some kind of a lesson in it. There's no lessons anymore because even the heroes are antiheroes. There was one not too long ago, not too many years ago, you know, there was some, some weird guy that was like the devil or something, but he was like a, supposedly a good guy. But this is what they're making Lucifer out to be on TV today, too. Kind of like a good guy, right? Lucifer's a good guy. Have you ever seen that show, Lucifer? No? Please don't. I'm not telling I'm not encouraging you to. What I'm saying is, this is what people are watching. The devil is cunning. Keeps everybody off guard. Keeps everybody off balance. This is our balance. This is our life. This is our strength. This is our wisdom. But that was what took place in the northern kingdom of Israel. Between the years 752 and 732 BC, they had four kings assassinated. That's 20 years. In 20 years, they had four kings assassinated. Let me go down the list, and then you can read it later. Zechariah, not the prophet, but the king, reigned only six months. And we're talking about the northern kingdom. So Zechariah reigned only six months before he was assassinated by Shalom. Then Shalom reigned only one full month before he was murdered by Menachem. Menachem reigned for 10 years without being assassinated, but then... Uh, Pekiah would rule for only two years before he was murdered by Pekah. And Pekah reigned 20 years before he was ass assassinated by Hosea. Not the prophet, but the king. Got it all? Well, if you didn't, you can read all about it in 2 Kings chapter 15. It's right there. 2 Kings 15. All about the northern kingdom between the 752 and 732 BC. What is most significant is that in the midst of this anarchy in Israel, no one was calling upon the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 7, what I just read. No one, the I mean, the people failed to seek the Lord. And their failure to do so was the root cause of their sin, their shame, and their doom. Our nation would do well to seek the Lord. Second Chronicles 7:14. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I will heal their sin and forgive. Uh, I will heal the uh, heal their sin and forgive their. Uh, I will heal the land and forgive their sin. Ah, forgive their sin and heal their land. There we go. Okay, I got it. I don't want to turn there, but that, that's it. In a nutshell, we should pray. We're a remnant, folks. We are a remnant in this country. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We've got to do this quickly because I'm way behind schedule here. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 20. Paul says, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the, un the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves 
over unto lasciviousness. That's, that's a very fancy word just talking about what we've been talking about already, sexual sins, sexual lusts, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But notice what he says, but you have not so learned Christ. Speaking to the church, he's saying these things could even possibly happen to those who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ. But if you jump down to chapter 5 of Ephesians, in verse 1, it says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication, there it is again, sexual sin, and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient or fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let's try to close our study by looking back at verses 8 through 10 of Hosea 7. Ephraim, he has mixed himself among the people. Israel has mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. That is a very interesting uh, description. A cake not turned. Strangers have devoured his strength and he knoweth it not. Yea, gray hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knoweth not. And the pride of Israel testifieth to his face, and they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. So the problem that is described in verses 8 and 9 is one that is seen quite clearly in what we call today the emerging or emergent church. And it also is in some segments of the New Apostolic Reformation of today. In other words, so-called Christians mixing themselves with people who don't know the Lord, which of course only brings trouble. Now I'm not saying that we're not to go tell people about Jesus, but they're not mixing with other people to tell them about Jesus. They're mixing to say, hey, let, uh, tell us a little bit about the way you worship God. Maybe we can learn something from it. Do you, do you see the difference? There's a big difference in telling somebody about Jesus and saying, you know, if, you're not, if you don't understand that Jesus is the only way to God, because all religions say, you know, there's, you know there, there are many roads to God. Jesus said one thing. You all know it. I'm going to tell you now before I get there, because I'm going to get there anyway. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh unto the Father except through me. We'll get back to it. So they're mixing themselves with people who don't know the Lord, which of course only brings trouble. Ephraim is called a cake not turned. Understand that this means that the Lord is calling us to be pure. Not like a pancake on the griddle that is overcooked on one side and raw on the other. Now look at your life and say, you know, is that me? Am I overcooked on one side and am I raw on the other? Because I wouldn't be appealing for anybody. The pan that kind of pancake is good for nothing, in other words. It's good for nothing. I'm sure on Saturday morning when you make pancakes, I, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I hear that happens. I don't get any, but... You know. But you know, that you make pancakes on Saturday morning for the kids, you know, you don't leave it on one side and let it burn on one side and they say, well, here, you know, here's, a, here's your pancake. They look at it and they say, burn on one side, eh, raw on top. You don't do that. You cook it on both sides, right? See, that's the whole point here. It's good for nothing. No one's going to eat it. It's of no good value. Now let me interject here. I, I may have to cut this short because of time, but no, I'm not going to worry about it. Y'all probably have heard of Joel Osteen, right? I, you know, every time he smiles, there's a little gleam in his teeth, that kind of thing. Always, you know, real happy kind of look, kind of guy. You know, please be careful with him, because I want you to listen to something that he said on an interview that he had with with Glenn Beck one day. 
not too long ago, a couple of years ago. This is what he said to Glenn Beck. He said, of course I believe in Christ as the Savior and all, but you know, I, I think too. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time in India, you know. I, I've been with a lot of Hindu people that are nice and kind, you know, people that love God as well. My question is, really? Do Hindus love God as well? The God of the scriptures? No, they don't. Because once they can get through the seven million gods that they believe in, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob isn't even one of them. They don't love God because they don't know God, the true God, the true and living God. How can you love someone you don't know? But he says, you know, people that love God as well. Emerging church people today are trying to find out how Buddhists worship and how Buddhists meditate, because they're into meditation, you know, this mind stuff, contemplative prayer. Well, we go to, you know, speak to Buddhists because they have a way of, of, of reaching this God consciousness, Christ consciousness. Really? Do you know that Buddhists are all atheists? They don't believe in God. Why? Because what they're doing is supposed to make them God. Do they love God? No, but they love themselves really good, even though it doesn't look like it sometimes. Sadly, this was a denial by Joel Osteen that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Now I'll say it again. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And what about what Peter uh, said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name, none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. He's talking about the name of Jesus Christ. No other name but the name of Jesus have a problem with it, take it up with God. I want you to take note of what is said of the children of Israel leaving the bondage of Egypt. Think about this, getting back to Israel and their being, mixing, you know, with other things. Uh, Exodus 20 verses, I'm sorry, Exodus 12 verses 37 and 38. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot about 600,000 on foot that were men beside children. But look at verse 38. And a mixed multitude went up also with them. I'm sure many of them Egyptians. A mixed multitude went up also with them and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. Now some would think that this mixed multitude were attracted to the God of Israel. And while that could be true, that doesn't mean that these Gentiles were not a weakening element toward the Jewish people. Because if you go to Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6, Numbers 11, verses 4 through 6, it says, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusten. They began to lust. And the children of Israel also wept again. They were lusting for the things that they used to have back in Egypt. And the children of Israel also wept again, and they said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. <laughs> That's all they remember. That's selective memory, man. They forgot that they were slaves for 430 years. I get a little excited about this, you know. I mean, I like some of those things too, but I mean, I'm not like saying, oh, I just want, give me an onion, please. I'll chomp on some garlic here. I just miss the flavor, you know. Yeah, but do you miss the stripes on your back that God took you away from? But now our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all beside this manna. Hey, who gave him manna? God did. And by the way, it was pretty delicious. The manna that was before their eyes. 
Every morning, God provided. And God said, at the end of the day, when you're done, if you still have some left over, get rid of it. I'll give you more tomorrow. Every day, God gives us blessing. Every day. His mercies are new every morning. His compassions never fail. Great is our God's faithfulness. But the mixed multitude stirred the hearts of the people to move away from the Lord and to complain about the things that, that he had given to them, not, not to mention to go after things that God desired them not to have. They wanted dead things. We want meat. Where's the beef? Remember that commercial? I remember that commercial. Little, little lady. Where is it? God said, I'm, I'm sick and tired of hearing them call out for this beef, so I'm going to send them meat. I'm going to send them so much meat, and they're going to choke on it. And they did. He sent a whole bunch of quail. And here comes quail, and they started taking sticks, and they started hitting those things, and they started picking them up, almost like if they were eating them right out, you know, with the feathers and, feathers and all. In fact, this is where baseball was invented, because it says that after a while they would collect homers, H-O-M-E-R-S, homers, which was actually a, 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 a basket full of, of, of stuff. But I thought, that, well, hey, baseball was invented then, because they were hitting them. It tells us that. Okay, forget that. Erase that from the tape. Okay, so, but even in the New Testament, there's a warning. Even in the New Testament, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're almost done. I may go just a couple minutes, okay? Uh, I'll try just a couple. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Notice what Paul says to a church that really struggled, you know, with with a lot of these issues, uh, the Corinthians. He said to them, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Doesn't say that we shouldn't go out and tell them about Jesus. He just says, don't be unequally yoked together. Don't yoke yourselves to them. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part has he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you're the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you and will be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So getting back to Hosea, verses 9 and 10 of Hosea chapter 7, reminds us that the people of Israel were unaware of the condition that they were in. Let me read it again. Verses 9 and 10. Strangers have devoured his strength and he knoweth it not. Yea, gray hairs are there and there upon, uh, here and there upon him, yet he knoweth not. And the pride of Israel testifieth to his face, and they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. You see, they were unaware of their condition. They were like a gray-haired man who didn't know that his time was short. A gray-haired man who didn't know his time was short. Their alliances with other nations were weakening its economy, morality, independence, and its freedom. The leaders were exporting far more goods and wealth than the nation was receiving. The unbelievers and wicked of the world were sapping the strength of Israel and its people. But the leaders nor the citizens realized how bad the problem was. They didn't realize how bad their situation was. But I want you to contrast this. I want you to contrast their attitude and their actions with that of David the king, David the psalmist king. Because in 1 Chronicles 29, David is near the end of his life and he's praying a blessing upon Solomon. He's praying a blessing upon Solomon who will be building the house of the Lord. And he says this in verse 10. He says, Wherefore David blessed 
It says of him, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation, and David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father. First, he calls upon the Lord. No one in the northern kingdom of Israel called upon the Lord. Okay? Already there's a contrast. Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Notice, he didn't say all that is in the heaven and the earth is mine. He said it is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee. There's thanksgiving. Now, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I? Who am I? I saw a video today. That's where I saw that little segment of Joel Osteen. I, I could have spent another hour talking about these word of faith teachers and preachers. That not one of them, not one of them would have ever had in his own vocabulary the words, but who am I? Because it was all about them. It was all about them. But David says, but who am I? And, and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sword? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. In other words, the people were giving of their own hearts, giving their offerings for the, the building of the temple. And he says, but, but I know one thing, it, it, you know, who are we to be able to do this? It all, it's all yours anyway, is what he's saying. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners as, as were all our fathers. Our days, and here it is, our days on the earth are as a shadow and there is none abiding. What is he saying? I understand our life is but a, but a vapor. It's just a hand breath. Oh, Lord, our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee a house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand and is all thine own. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now have I seen with joy thy people, which are present here, to offer willingly unto thee. David in Psalm 39 verses 4 through 7 would say, Lord, make me to know my end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, mine ages as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. And now, Lord, what wait I for? He answers his own question. He says, my hope is in thee. You see, in Israel of Hosea's time, their hope was in themselves, their hope was in their government, their hope was in their kings, whichever one stayed alive. But their hope was not in God, who they were supposed to know and serve. Let me close with this statement in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 3, where David has been pursued by Saul, and he's good friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. I think you all know the story. And it's the last phrase that he says in this verse, but let, let me share the verse with you. 
It says, And David sware moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord liveth, all that aside, listen to this one phrase, but truly as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. There is but a step between me and death. This can be seen rather specifically about David in this situation, but I truly believe that God would want us to know that generally speaking, that each and every day, there is a step for you and me, a step between me and death, between you and death. We don't know when that can happen. We sometimes get scares. We want to only live as long as God wants us to, right? Because we want to continue to serve Him. I truly believe that if God has given us breath, He's given us breath for a reason. Even someone who's dying at 102, if they're still breathing, God has a reason. We don't always understand, but God knows. The people of Israel of Hosea's time, the Northern Kingdom, they didn't know. They thought they'd live forever. How many people think that way today? They don't consider mortality. All we need to know is this. Our life is in God's hands. And let's be honest with that. And just thank Him for the life that He's given. And let's live those lives for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen?